This is A Diet of Brussels and welcome back to another discussion between myself, Simon Ashwood and David Maloney. Good, we've made the hands work and you won't know from the edit that this isn't the first time of trying. Anyway, uh, we are enjoying the summer weather um, and we are going to talk about car batteries uh, this month. Um, Last month, we talked about uh, migration. We talked about uh, the way in which that's a particular issue for relations between the UK and the EU, but also how it reflects on the wider relationship between uh, the different parties. And we're going to do something similar today. We're going to talk about car batteries, which, as many of you will be aware, is a growing issue uh for the uh british car industry the eu's car industry uh but also it has some implications for general uk eu relations so um david um we've just been discussing why i don't care about car batteries because i've got a very old and decrepit ford focus but why should we generally care about this uh issue well, we should care about electric cars and uh, specifically batteries is because we're facing uh, a rush, a rush within Europe to compete against Chinese electric vehicles. And to kind of give you a context first in relation to the European Union, I mean, this is a very important sector for the European Union, specifically France, Germany, Italy, Spain, too, uh, which are major car manufacturers. So to just give you some figures about this, I mean, uh, it represents 7% of EU's GDP. Uh, you've got just over uh, 12 and a half million uh, EU citizens employed in relation to the car industry, be it directly working with, say, Volkswagen or within the supply chain. And then it's the second largest uh, producer in terms of the European Union, it's the second largest producer of cars after China. And it is extremely important because the car industry, not only because of the economic value, not only because of the uh in terms of the number of EU citizens that are working in the car industry, but also because uh, the car industry is in transition at the moment. And it is in transition in the context of, of course, electric vehicles and batteries as well. So um, this has been partly driven by the disruptors in the industry, which would be Tesla, for example, which is well documented. Uh, perhaps less documented, of course, are the challenge uh, coming from China in regards to electric vehicles. Uh, the car industry is pushing to try and jump over the more established brands. Chinese car manufacturers had great difficulty in mastering the internal combustion engine, but they see the electric vehicle as the potential to try and shift uh, citizens and uh, customers away from buying uh, vehicles from more established brands to Chinese brands. Our consumer tastes have also changed as well. People perhaps my age, perhaps less at your age, Simon, uh, are very Charming. much, uh, very much uh, renting cars. They're no longer buying vehicles. So you have this change in consumer habits as well. And just to go back to the Chinese car industry just for a moment, I mean, the Chinese car market is very much flooded at the moment. And what we're facing is a deluge of uh, cheap Chinese imports into this market. So the car industry is in flux at the moment. 
from those disruptors, be it Tesla, from Chinese up startups. Uh, you also have the change in consumer habits. You have this rush for lithium in relation for car batteries. And the whole industry, particularly the established brands, have been a bit slow to get off the mark here. Um, so that's the challenge they're facing now. And that's why it's important, too, because it's also, if we zoom out a bit, a very much a shift in terms of uh or you could say a, a marker for the rise of china here in another key industry so it is a big shift here but also internally as well for the european union it's a move away from the internal combustion engine we're moving away from petrol and diesel to now towards those targets in relation have been laid out as part of the green deal as well and that's also having an impact in terms of the car industry too so moving away from petrol and diesel towards electric vehicles and of course electric vehicles powered by batteries car batteries as well which I can get into in a bit more detail as well, if you'd like. So I think we understand the, the significance of the sector, the significance in the context of combating uh, climate change. You know, that we know that transport emissions are a, a significant part of uh, overall emissions. Um, and also, clearly, I think we understand that the car market is an important part of the economy generally. We know that the UK is a large market. It also has a, a substantial amount of uh, production uh, based here in the UK. And also, I think, you know, it's important to be clear that despite Brexit, we have a huge amount of interconnection in the industry. So the European car industry is a European car industry. So pieces will move backwards and forwards between borders, uh, a lot of specialization in the industry as well. Uh, why does this matter in the context of UK EU relations? Uh, you know, uh, we, you know, why, what, if we, we're aware that this is an important issue and that even an old person like myself, to mischaracterize, uh, should care about this, uh, why does it matter for UK EU relations? Well, it matters because, as you mentioned, that interconnectedness. So you do have car companies that have production facilities in the United Kingdom and also in the European Union as well. So, for example, Stellantis, for example, which are the owners of Vauxhall in the UK or, as we like to call it on mainland Europe, Opel, uh, are very much share production facilities they also share parts as well and the movement of those parts is part of a very large supply interconnected supply chain between the united kingdom and uh, the rest of the european union so that's the first aspect you have stellantis number one then you have for example jaguar land rover and these are and also ford and those two companies along with stellantis true Vauxhall, are huge employers in the united kingdom they're also huge employers in the European Union as well. That's the first aspect. So you've got that impact there in terms of number of jobs and also in terms of the UK itself is a very important car uh, market for uh, member states, particularly Germany, uh, again, France, Italy, Spain, if we were to take a look at the SAVE brand. Uh, so very UK is a very important car market and is a very valuable car market as well. So you have not only the job aspect, in terms of this interconnectedness and this is why it's salient not only just in the uk but also jobs in say in volksburg and uh, germany but also you have the fact that these uh car companies see the united kingdom as a very valuable 
car market to sell vehicles. And that's a very important aspect. Too. So this is why not only salient, but also uh, why we should be uh, concerned more generally about it. Because if there is disruptions here, if, for example, if we would go into the TCA for just one moment, uh, if the tariffs in relation to, if there's no agreement in relation to tariffs here, and as we know with the TCA, uh, you do have, or car industries should have a certain components or certain elements, I should say, in relation to the amount of the electric kernel, so the electric battery in terms of its content manufactured in Europe. If it doesn't hit that 55% by 2027, as per the TCA, what you will have is you will have tariffs being slapped on uh, car imports from the United Kingdom. And this will have a disruptive effect on the supply chain. It will have an inflationary effect and it will also dissuade people from buying cars. And again, if I was to refer you back to my, uh, I suppose, opening statement, uh, the challenges to which the car industry already under uh, they simply cannot afford to take another hit like this. And a, a tariff of, say, 10% would not be conducive for the, the, the car industry, which is already under severe pressure from competition, be it from China, and also the fact that there's that uh, supply chain in relation to the fact that they haven't, the car industry hasn't upscaled in terms of batteries, and the car industry in itself is still reliant on that too. So that's another effect that we should take into account as well when we think about the car industry and its impact for the UK and uh, for the member states as well. Okay, we, we kind of getting to some more specifically, oh, are they legal? They're economic, they're both uh, kind of aspects. I mean, you talked about uh, tariffs, you talked about uh, kind of where things are produced and manufactured, and we're kind of getting into what I'm slightly hesitant to discuss, which is rules of origin, which is, infinitely complicated if i'm to listen to my twitter uh trade twitter colleagues uh when they discuss it but essentially when we're talking about rules of origin we're talking about not so much where something comes from but where it's produced so uh for example uh if we had a japanese uh car battery that was made in uh, uh sorry in china made in china and then brought to the uk and then shipped from the uk put in a different box and then shipped to uh, Belgium to a fa factory there. We wouldn't consider it to be a British uh, car battery just because we put it in a box that it would be made in China, then shipped through the UK into Belgium. And so we're trying to dis disentangle where things actually have uh, value added, if you like. So typically that's about where you manufacture something, uh, or where you uh, do some substantial work on it. And it clearly with cars, as you've, you've uh, I think, helpfully described, the interconnectedness of the industry, the sharing across companies, across borders of production steps, raises an additional problem that it's not, you know, bits of cars don't suddenly come into existence. It's they'll have some work done in one place, then they'll be shipped somewhere else to have some more work done. And so quite where value gets added and where you start to apply relevant rules of origin is important. So in the context of the TCA, what we've had has been a, a, a grace period uh, around uh, manufacturing in uh electric vehicles that's coming to an end at 
the end of uh, 2023, so in about uh, six months time. And part of the problem is, is that car batteries are particularly valuable. So in terms of the value of a car, uh, of an electric car, the battery itself is a really significant part of that. So if we don't have that capacity within the EU or the UK to build those batteries, we're going to have to bring them from somewhere else. And then we're going to fall foul of those limits on how uh, we uh, generate uh, or calculate the, the value and how that works. Does that kind of capture the key points in, in the situation for you? Yeah, so just to clarify, because I mean, the rules of origin aspect can be quite complicated, but basically what rules of origin is that it is the economic nationality of the goods traded. Okay, so that's basically it, the economic nationality of the goods that has been traded. So as you mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago, it's where the origin of the good has been manufactured, not if it's been repackaged in different parts of the supply chain. So uh, if we're thinking about electric vehicles and those car batteries specifically, uh, where they are manufactured, car batteries, uh, it's not the fact that they have some components or parts uh, manufactured in the UK, it's whether or not the whole unit, for example, or parts of the unit have come all the way from China via the UK, added a bit from the UK and then uh, to, say, Belgium. But as you mentioned uh, correctly, too, I mean, that uh, in relation to those tariffs, uh, or that, uh, I should say, uh, space in relation to preventing or not adding tariffs, um, that comes to an end on the 31st of December 2023. And at the moment, as again, as you correctly pointed out, I mean, the car industry in Europe simply does not have the production facility. So at the moment, we have about 10 EU projects at the moment in relation to building battery plants. Uh, so we've got in Sweden, Nordvolt, we have the French major, oil major Total uh, involved there too. But at the moment, most of the car batteries and parts of those car batteries are coming from China's uh, Caltel, Korea's LG, as we know, and Japan's Panasonic. So the problem here is that the upscaling in Europe hasn't happened at the speed that is needed to prevent these tariffs being slapped on them. So again, by 2027, 55% of the component of the battery and 55% of the components of the electric vehicle must eat, come from either the UK or China. And that is not level does not seem to be achievable at the moment. So what we are seeing certainly from the VDA, which is one of the most powerful lobby groups in Brussels, which is basically the car German car manufacturers uh, lobby group in Brussels, considered one of the most powerful lobby groups in uh, in Brussels. And they're very clear that they, and indeed their French colleagues too, Stellantis, are very clear in trying to ensure that the Commission is aware that there is a problem in relation to the supply chain that these target of 55% for uh, production in relation to electric vehicle and the content of the battery originating from the EU or the UK will not be met. And they're calling on the Commission to take action because if there is no action in relation to rules of origin, and again, if this tariff is slapped on it, what you're going to see uh, on, on car batteries and electric vehicles, uh, what you're then going to see is you're going to see potential job losses, both in the United Kingdom and also in uh, member states again, like France and Germany. And what you will see is 
uh, again, continued pressure overall in the car industry. So um, you correctly described those pressures in relation to those elements uh, to which the car industry is facing post uh, the 31st December 2023, unless there is an agreement reached or in, in relation to giving some room for the car manufacturers with regards to either putting off or delaying this uh, 55% target in 2027, either pushing it back uh, or uh, at least trying to water it down a bit by that point. But it's where we are coming up to a very serious deadline. And if something isn't dealt, if something isn't addressed, if the commission doesn't move on this, if it doesn't uh, take into account uh, the concerns of the German car industry, the French car industry, the UK car industry too, to a degree, uh, we will see some problems arising in relation to tariffs, etc. And obviously, as a consequence, pressure on these car manufacturers to cut costs. Right. I mean, we're going to come to possible solutions in a minute. Um, and just to clarify, I think at some point you said, you know, the 55% requirement on both battery and car uh, that needs to be from either the UK or the EU. I think you said China at one point, but just to be clear. Um, okay, yes, yes, says, sorry, so sorry, yes. Um, yes from... but, okay, yeah. So, but basically within the, the area of the, the TCA, so that's the, the EU member states and, and the UK. Um, I think, you know, and I think the other key point from that is that this isn't a, a just a British problem. It's not British car makers alone making this point this is as you say this is europe's car makers as well uh being very concerned about how that works um i guess the you know the the, the question before you think about solutions is well why is this even in the the tca in the first place you know we've got a general principle of uh zero zero trade so zero quotas zero tariffs in uh place and that was you know a very ambitious part of the the free trade agreement that we we set up in 2020 under this uh trade and cooperation agreement so why have we got a system of applying limits that will come in you know why have we had a transitional period into the uh, application of these uh tariffs and you know why in this area, given, as you say, we've got this mutual interest in uh, a transition to a green economy, to green transport, uh, why make life difficult for yourself? Uh, well, the view would be, at least in terms of from, say, Brussels, is that we are moving away. And I think the TCA can be an unintended stick to ensure that car manufacturers actually meet uh, the targets that have been laid out, because obviously we have had, and to prepare the car industry too, because Brussels is moving ahead towards the reduction of uh, carbon emissions, uh, 55% uh, by 2030. And we've seen a whole range of legislation, part of the Fit for 55 package that has been rolled out um, in relation to the alternative fuels uh, infrastructure regulation, um, the Renewable Electricity Directive and the CO2 Emissions Performance Standard for Cars and Vans Regulation. And all of these elements are to push the car industry towards uh, a 
effectively zero emissions. And that's also trying to encourage consumers as well through all of this legislation, which is going to help in terms of the acceleration, the rollout of the charging uh, infrastructure, uh, helping to make uh, electric cars easier to use and more accessible for consumers, establish a clearer and uh, binding phase out for fusel, fossil fuels, excuse me, um, to ensure that the car industry is prodded and prepared for this. And again, if we were to attach this to the TCS in relation to electric vehicles, is to ensure that the car industry makes the steps forward to ensure that it meets those targets. So you can see the TCA is a potential uh, stick to ensure that the car industry is prepared for this change uh, going forward, because there is a, again, a, a huge change coming within the car industry in relation to um, the these carbon or these targets in relation that the commission has set out set down as part of the green deal um so the legislation has been passed in brussels the car industry is has to be it needs to be prepared and again the uk is an important uh import market for the car industry and you also have of course from the london perspective too um the drive towards net zero as well so again you have these two uh won't say competing, but you have both Brussels and London recognizing the need to reduce emissions in every area possible. And here you have the TCA being in some ways sort of a stick to help or to persuade the car industry to move forward as fast as possible in relation to the construction of these uh, battery plants and also uh, energy companies too, like Total, uh, to ensure that you have these energy companies and to also ensure more broadly the move away of the supply chain, less dependent particularly on China. I don't think there's any concern in Brussels in relation to uh, South Korea uh, or, or Japan in terms of this area, but also to move away the supply chains from China and also to ensure that Europe becomes more self-sufficient, a more leading, more, much more of a leader here too in terms of car manufacturing. And that can only be done too because, again, the intersupply or the interconnectionness, I should say, of the car industry across Europe and the supply chain and the interconnectedness of that supply chain means that you can't really just bring part of Europe, i.e. the 27 member states, you need to bring the 20 members to seven member states plus the United Kingdom, because the United Kingdom is an important component in the supply chain of so many different elements uh, in cars, number one. And number two, it's also to prepare Europe more broadly uh, in terms of competition from the likes of China in relation to electric vehicles. So I think the TCA is a very useful stick to ensure that those goals are met. Yeah, at the same time, we're in a situation where clearly we haven't met expectations about building battery capacity in the EU or indeed in the UK. And, you know, I think in the UK, we're very familiar with uh, the failure of British Vault uh, to uh, uh, secure enough funding to, to put its plans into action. But also we've seen in uh, the EU uh various delays to uh mega factories uh being uh put into effect so the the timeline that clearly this tries to incentivize has not been stuck to and we're now in that situation where uh we've got this growing pressure um from manufacturers from businesses um, and from various governments as well. I think, you know, it's clear that governments are also alive to this. I think most obviously the British government has been uh, pretty um, uh, vocal uh, uh, about this kind of issue. Um, and, you know, we've got uh, 
talk about how we might move this on. Um, and in terms of solutions, uh, it's a shared issue. Um, we know that there are discussions about moving things on. Where do we, where do you see there being scope for for addressing this? Well, the TCA itself, I mean, if Article 7.4D uh, um, states that there is the possibility to allow for the correction of errors or amendments in relation to if there's any considered any deficiencies or to address any omissions. So there is scope within the TCA itself to deal with this issue with regard to the I won't say failure, but the difficulties that the car industry has with regard to upscaling its uh, battery capacity in Europe. So the scope is there within the TCA. Now, in terms of political will, what we see from London, certainly uh, the prime minister has been very clear about this with regards to his openness. Um, speaking at a G7 summit in Japan recently, uh, he was very clear that um, they are looking into this. Um, they realise the importance that the UK has with regards to uh, its involvement in the supply chain. And they're in, currently engaged in dialogue with the EU, i.e. the Commission, with regards to how to address to how to address these concerns. Now, uh, you also have from the Commission side, uh, the Vice President of the Commission uh, speaking in relation to this on this specific matter, saying that, you know, the UK could become a part of what is known as this pan-European Mediterranean agreement, which would allow for the movement of, uh, say, electric parts of electric batteries and bat electric batteries themselves within this pan-European uh, Mediterranean agreement. Um, but the problem there is that you see that in not all of the areas such as electric v parts for electric vehicles i.e car batteries uh, are covered by this and it really also kind of doesn't deal with the fact that i mean this delay with regards to shifting or upscaling say in car batteries but also different parts of cars as well doesn't really deal with the issue which is that the increasing dominance of china in certain elements of the components with regards to the manufacture of these vehicles so uh the uk is open you have pressure from also the car industry too. Um, again, you have Stellantis, the car group, which not only deals with Vauxhall, but also um, the Peugeot, uh, Citroën and other Fiat too now, I think as well, if I'm not mistaken, a part of a merger. Um, you also have the VDA, which are the German car manufacturers lobby group in Brussels, which I mentioned earlier, representing, of course, VW, BMW, Mercedes, etc. So they're also keen to find an agreement. Now, where we may, I mean, at the moment, the Commission has put forward this idea of having this or allowing the UK to become part of this pan-Mediterranean uh, European agreement with regards to the movement of uh, car parts, etc. Um, and this also deals with, of course, rule of origin too. So in so far as this uh, pan-European Mediterranean agreement, you know, it allows parts uh, made in one country within the Mediterranean uh, to be assembled in another and to be treated as one export source. So the UK becomes a part of that. Um, then you will have 
the ability for the goods manufactured in the UK, so car batteries, for example, um, electric car batteries, and to be treated as a source from the United Kingdom if it's a part of that agreement. But again, it just pushes uh, the fact that there are severe challenges with regards to um, the European car industry as well. So it doesn't seem to be too much of a flyer either, as I mentioned, due to the fact that China will remain dominant in certain parts too. But there is an openness here from the UK and from the car manufacturers as well. And by the way, it should be said, if the car manufacturers, particularly the German car manufacturers, are interested or in looking for some sort of EU agreement that either waters down that 2027 target or pushes that 2027 uh, target, uh, then you can be sure that if Germany is going to do this and the French are interested in this, that the Commission will have to be a bit more open on this as well, because the member states are certainly not going to allow, the Italians too, by the way, uh, the, these member states are not certainly going to see their car industry suffer. Okay, I think we, I think we, what we need to be clear about here is that we've got specific narrow issue of the looming deadline. And we've kind of got some mechanisms there and we'll talk about those uh, some more. And then we've got the more structural problem about the continuing dominance of uh, China in this particular market and how the EU and Europe more broadly, including the UK, uh, address that. And, you know, if we're thinking in kind of uh, geopolitical terms, if that relationship between uh, Europe and the West uh, and China, on the other hand, uh, continues to um, be problematic, clearly that uh, at some point potentially has implications on uh, trade uh, and access to those kind of materials and those manufacturers that we've, we've talked about. You mentioned uh, Article 7 4D of the TCA, which let's assume that our listeners haven't read that. So this is a clause that is in both the TCA and in the withdrawal agreement. So you'll be aware of it from the Windsor framework that we had at the beginning of the year. So when we had the Windsor framework, that was done using the equivalent provision in the withdrawal agreement, which allows the, um, the management uh, body of the treaty to make ch changes to the text uh, without having to go through a full uh, renegotiation and ratification. So it's not that we have to go back to parliaments and get uh, specific approvals on these things in the way that you would if you were doing a full renegotiation. Uh, and as you say, uh, what we have in the TCA is this provision under Article 7 where you're allowed to uh, address uh, issues uh, of um, errors, omissions, other deficiencies, which is suitably vague and, you know, is vague enough to allow for the introduction of the Stormont break into the text of the Northern Ireland Protocol. And so potentially what we can do here is a similar kind of thing that is, a, if you like, a, a similar uh, short circuiting of the, the process. Um, importantly, though, just like in the uh, withdrawal agreement, the TCA provision, this Article 7, is time limited. So we can only use it until the end of the fourth year uh, following the end, uh, following the entry into force of the agreements. So that's May 2024. So that's uh, less than a year now that you'd be able to do that. So uh, we've got to be clear that whilst we do have flexibility within the treaty uh, arrangements, 
that itself comes with limits um, and in the context of other issues that might come up we, we need to be clear that that's not a, a long-term solution uh, unless the parties decide to do something else so what we've got here is i think uh, a useful kind of illustration of uh, a bigger problem um, that the relationship between the parties is dynamic that treaties are necessarily incomplete contracts it's about the only thing i can remember from my law uh, instruction is that lawyers uh, forget things and they know that they forget things so they they leave themselves wiggle room to have more time with lawyers having more discussions about the things that they forgot so you know, a treaty is never going to be a settled uh, body of uh, relations. It might provide a framework, but it doesn't necessarily answer all the questions that might occur from time to time. And in this case, those uh, timetables for introducing rising requirements on rules of origin have uh, proved to be unrealistic from industry perspective. And so now we're kind of coming back to uh, whether we need to change the, the wording of our contracts in the uh, treaty or whether we need to do something uh, more generally. David, thoughts? Well, yes, I think it is correct, as you pointly or correctly pointed out, excuse me, um, that indeed lawyers do leave these um, do leave these treaties and articles within treaties as broad as possible at times to allow for or to prepare for challenges. I think that's the right way to do here because obviously, I mean, when the TCA came into force, no one really could perhaps perceive the slowness that the car industry and the difficulties the car industry would have with regards to meeting the rule of origin criteria laid out uh, regards to 2027 targets. So. I think it's right and correct that the space is there for the car industries and more generally too within the TCA to meet these uh, particular difficulties as well and for the European Union to show a degree of flexibility too and specifically the Commission as well because after all the Commission is representing the member states as well. Um, so I think yes there it is right to do so um, i think the bigger question however which touches on our uh, previous question is whether or not that wriggle room that is provided in article 74d uh, is used and again to point out the uk is certainly open to it the car industry is certainly open to it lobby groups in brussels that represent the car industry are open to it member states are going to be uh, again italy uh, Germany and France will be also very open to it as well. So I think the real question is, will this be, uh, will this wriggle room, this space with an Article 74D of the TCA be used? I would say yes. Um, it is indeed, as you mentioned, up to 2024. Time is running out. But as per usual in Brussels, no doubt this will be uh, something that runs right up to the clock. Um, but I can assure you that the member states are certainly not going to see their car industries uh, lose a competitive advantage uh, to the rise of to these increasingly number of competitors from China. I think just as a note of caution, and I think it was when you start to mention mentioning German car manufacturers who have a, a particular place in the Brexit 
mythology of you know what the break of what German car makers want, the German car makers will get, and then German car makers were very explicit that actually what they wanted was what the rest of the EU wanted, and they weren't going to be riding to the rescue during the Brexit negotiations. Um, clearly, one of the issues around any modification of the treaties is precedent and what that says about how you manage the process. And clearly, in the case of the Windsor framework and the uh, amendment of the Northern Ireland Protocol, that came off the back of an extended period of very politicised and antagonistic relationships which were causing fundamental problems in the relationship. And so part of the selling of this was that this was a way to heal uh, a, a really basic problem, you know, with the British government trying to pass legislation to disapply the entire protocol, uh, going against treaty obligations. You know, we're, we're not nearly in the same category of uh, issue with car batteries. Yes, it's for all their importance, economically, ecologically, uh, whateverly, that's not of the same order of relations uh, as was being raised by the protocol issue. So I think one of the, the challenges that the EU also is juggling with is if we try to sort this out through using treaty amendment, are we opening a door to subsequent issues of a similar important but not existential uh, kind of nature to uh, to uh, open the door to those issues also being addressed in a similar kind of manner. And I think, you know, this is always the, the challenge is how much can you disconnect? How much do you want to disconnect specific issues from the wider package of uh, questions that we have? And as we know, and as we've talked about before, and we will talk about repeatedly uh, in coming months, uh, there are any number of topics that the EU and the UK uh, might see mutual interest and mutual advantage in moving on, but the way in which they do that is going to be uh, potentially dealt with in very different kinds of ways for different kinds of issues. And do you want to make the cross linkage? You know, are we going to have somebody say at some point, well, we can sort out this car battery issue, but only if you also sort out this other issue that is not intrinsically linked, but we are going to make the connection. I think that will depend on who's in government in London, because if you have a much more EU friendly government, then you will likely to have a government that is going to be closer to the view of Brussels of trying to package a lot of these issues together and perhaps have a closer relationship between uh, London and Brussels. And I think that is the direction to which a Labour government will go in. So I would be very I would say that a lot of these smaller issues indeed that we will talk about over the course of this podcast series, uh, we will see an increasing uptick in activity perhaps by the Labour government in the context of bringing these issues together under one umbrella, making the argument that we want a closer relationship and this closer relationship will cover a lot of areas, not just uh, uh, EV batteries, um, but also in the context, too, of, say, visits, cultural visits, which has been a, a small issue, but perhaps an important issue, too, uh, within the, the national capitals as well. Um, perhaps also taking a look at fisheries as well. 
bringing these issues together because there is and more broadly defense as well obviously after the invasion of the ukraine by russia too so there are many areas that can be improved on there can be a linkage between these areas and certainly perhaps even a package deal but of course it'll depend who's in government in london and i suspect and i think at this moment in time it's uh, perhaps a safe bet to say that we're increasingly looking like a labor majority government a labor majority government which will have a support in the house of commons from an increased number of liberal democrats as well so there will be a very much a if you were to call it a within the house of commons a very strong uh majority in favor of closer relations with the european union and i can say perhaps or see uh, a lot of activity in these areas, but in the broader scope of trying to bring the UK and Brussels to uh, to perhaps bring it a lot closer together on a lot of these areas under some sort of perhaps package or even a, a degree of linkage as well. So I think that, that you, your assessment is correct, and I think we will see that, but we will see that most likely after uh, probably, I should say, uh, when uh, Keir Stammer uh, walks uh, into number 10. Although we should remember that if we're not going to have a, a general election until next year, uh, that's of no help to this particular issue because we need something sorted out this calendar year if we're not to fall into the, the trap. So uh, we're, we're going to come oh, back yeah, to Labour because I, th and I think maybe uh, maybe after the, the summer break, we might well have a, a bit of a, a bit more of a discussion about Labour and what the implications of a Labour government might be, both in terms of their policy and how the EU might react uh, in the context of things uh, there, because I think you know we're seeing more interest in that kind of kind of issue. But you're completely right to say uh, what the government in London is like matters in this, but also clearly by extension what the situation is in Brussels and in uh, the 27. Uh, member state capitals too you know they also have elections they have politics we know that we've got european elections coming up uh next summer which is going to mean a new commission as well which you know in the way of things is probably not going to be a radical shift in terms of policy but it's going to be a, a change of personnel as much as anything which is going to potentially have important impacts and also you know maybe uh causes some uh, delays as uh, you have a changing of the guard in the parliament and in the commission. So we're going to explore that uh, too uh, a bit nearer the time. So just to sum this up, what we're saying here is there's that this is an important issue by itself, car batteries, but it's also an example of the way in which that relationship between the UK and the EU is a necessarily dynamic one and the tools that we have within the TCA, within the withdrawal agreement, are tools. They're not answers and they're not uh, a guide to you know, what you must do. And that capacity of the, the parties to review and revise and amend uh, their agreements is going to be an increasing part of the picture. I think in the longer term, one of the things we'll need to keep in mind is that if we keep on finding more and more examples like this, where the provisions of the treaty are run up against the buffers of reality, um, that then that's going to increase pressure for uh, revision uh, of the treaty in some other kind of way, which 
at that point opens up a much bigger question and comes back to that point you're making about you know the the complexion of government in uh, London particularly uh, and to some extent too uh, on the European side. So uh, we've established that I'm older than David, uh, we've established that uh, <laughs> this is uh, an ongoing situation. We're going to come back to this issue as we get closer uh, and David I think you're completely right to say that uh, these things never get sorted out in good time. It tends to be a bit of a last minute job because uh, everyone uh, seems to need a, a deadline to concentrate their minds, um, which I'm sure listeners will appreciate in their own lives uh, in different ways. Uh, anything else that you want to, to add before we, we tie this one off? Uh, I don't think your Ford Focus is going to survive. That's perhaps the the dead nail. But uh, just to pick up on uh, two things, absolutely, you're correct about the um, the issue with, of course, the EV batteries in regards that we need a solution in 2024 rather than uh, later on, obviously. But the I think the point perhaps is, is still there that we will still see that closer relationship on a number of other areas. And as you've correctly pointed out, too, if there needs to be further revision in regards to a TCA or perhaps even a successor to a TCA and you have Labour government in power in London that we're already starting to see is talking about a closer relationship and a lot of these smaller issues that we kind of touched on a little bit earlier uh, can be brought into a broader package deal. And second of all, um, yes, it does depend what's happening in Brussels, but I think listeners perhaps may not know this or be aware of this, but there's still an R R the council working party. It's called the article, or sorry, it's called the working party on uh, the United Kingdom. You still have Brexit councillors from the member states. That's the representatives uh, for member states. Uh, their officials are still attending these meetings. There is discussions going on in relation to the implementation of the TCA. So that has then, of course, been fed back to uh, the national capitals as well. So national capitals are keeping an eye on the implementation of the TCA through their own officials who are representing their interests via the permanent representations of the 27 of the individual 27 member states in Brussels. So there's still work going on. There's still that assessment within the council and amongst member states as well, even if the commission has uh, reduced the number of officials there uh, working on the issue of the United Kingdom. So the uh, or that uh, working party on the United Kingdom is there and member states are still active in terms of looking at the implementation of the TCA. So indeed, uh, we will have to wait and see what will come also out of Brussels as well. But I wouldn't say that the uh, that Brussels isn't or that the member states aren't keeping an eye on this. They certainly are in terms of the implementation of the TCA and are still quite curious about that as well. But uh, we shall leave it here for now, I guess. Yes, I think we will. So, David, thanks again. Uh, thank you, listeners, for continuing to listen. And we will be back next time when we've worked out what we're going to talk about. Uh, not about my age. Uh, I can exclusively reveal. Or your car's survival. Or my car. Uh, no, no one needs to know about the car. It's a classic, I think, is what I'm saying. So uh, until then, uh, goodbye. Great. Thanks for having me, Simon. <laughs>